Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast, hosted by longtime Northwest sports journalist Dan Viennes. News, reaction, and opinion. In-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now, here's your host, Dan Viennes. Welcome to the Monday after, not, uh, not the morning after quite so much because the draft doesn't run into Sunday anymore, uh, but lots of activity for the Seahawks yesterday. Uh, welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast. I am your host, Dan Viennes. Still not 100%, but the Seahawks are almost 100% full as far as their roster goes. I think at last unofficial count, they are now at 89 uh, as they entered the draft with just 52, but a massive undrafted free agent class. Uh, that work being solidified over the last 48 hours. Uh, we're going to talk about some of those names. Uh, We're going to keep it a little more big picture today. You know, I did my pick by pick recap. Uh, Most of uh, most of the shows that you listen to and love uh, have done the same. Everyone's given their draft grades. We've started to see the 2024 mock drafts already. Uh, I had saw one today that they had the Seahawks picking 11th and taking Bo Nix out of Oregon. And I just had to shut that down right away. Um, But today I have a very special uh, lineup for you. Bill Alvstad and Keith Myers, old friends of the show and old friends of yours truly from the Seahawks Playbook podcast are going to join me. Uh, Let's let's bring them in. Gentlemen, how are you? Have we recovered yet from the big event? No, not at all. (laughs) Physically or emotionally? (laughs) Yes. Nice to see you again, Dan. Good to Congrats see you guys. on your uh, on your new your new show uh, officially the old show but uh, right. rebranded all that whatever you want to call it. That's uh, right. Congrats. First first time I've had you on this show. Yeah. Uh, couldn't ask for uh, two guys that I'd rather talk draft with and uh, we will try our best to keep this under uh well, we've we've set some records in the past. We'll try to keep it as concise as possible. Um listen, I um I know you guys have broken this thing down. Let me, let me start with this. How does it feel now just afterwards kind of decompressing after all of this? Because for me personally, and I, and I have to imagine for you guys too, the last six months and really eight, nine months going back to the beginning of the college football season was such an emotional toll and, and uh, just putting so much work into watching college football, watching tape, evaluating prospects, because we knew we had this bevy of draft picks coming up in a way that we've never seen in the Schneider Carroll era. We had higher picks coming up. We had access to prospects that we typically had to ignore in the past. We did all the mock drafts and all the speculation and and to see the actual names and have it become reality. What's it like coming down off of that high? Well, for me, um, as you know, and and you do the same thing, we go all year. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we put out two, three shows a week and, um, you know, as soon as the, the, uh, the, the season's over. We're right back into it. We're talking prospects. We're evaluating everything. We're getting ready for free agency, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, so we've gone through this process now. I, I was up in the Northwest, uh, saw parts of the draft with Keith, flew back home and immediately got a little head cold. <laughs> so <laughs> that's my way of decompressing. I, I just, uh, I, I kept myself healthy through the whole process. And then uh, at the end, I'm, I'm falling apart a little bit. You'll get Other no sympathy that, from me, my friend. <laughs> Other than that, though, uh, talk about a great process, you know, all the way from free agency. Uh, remember, 
uh, the Seahawks went in without a quarterback uh, on on the roster, essentially in free agency. Signed Geno Smith to a team friendly deal. They got Dramont Jones uh, and Jaron Reed in the trenches on the defensive side. Evan Brown on the offensive side. Brought back Bobby Wagner, et cetera. They did a lot of things in free agency uh, to make this team better. You know, when you go through the draft process, everyone kind of looks at that through a, a smaller lens and doesn't remember you know, kind of what we did in free agency to help build the roster. You go through the process, there's a little bit of a disappointment factor in there because maybe you're not picking the prospects that everyone said uh, the Seahawks are going to be really interested in and so forth. But at the end, when you're all said and done, you take a look at the entire uh, roster as it stands today, and you got to feel pretty good about what the Seahawks have done. And, uh, you know, overall, I I think they've knocked it out of the park. Hmm. Keith? Well, I, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, this is probably the youngest roster in the NFL because, uh, what is it, 38 players uh, yeah. were added in the last week um, between the dra- the 10 draft picks and, uh, you know, 28 undrafted free agents or 27, I think, at this point. Um, and that's, that's just crazy. That is a very young team that is not a deep team. That is a team that is going to struggle with the depth um, department. Uh, And this was a team that had very obvious and, you know, um, significant weaknesses. And they still have some of the same obvious and uh, significant weaknesses today that they had, you know, a month ago. And in, in a sense, that's a little disappointing because you'd like this team to work on building a roster and becoming a complete team. And it's almost as if they are in year two of a three-year built rebuild plan where they're just trying to amass talent and get get young um, not and not trying to win. And I know that's not the case, but it, it's kind of how it feels. So let's start with that. The biggest obvious weakness that we all focus on going into the draft was defensive front. Um, would you just piggybacking off of what you said, would you feel better about that position group now if they had been able to hold on to a couple of the veterans that they released for cap purposes, or if they had chosen to go Jalen Carter at five? Well, Jalen Carter is, is a big mystery and I can see why the team wanted to avoid him. Um, namely Malik McDowell and that whole experience. But if they had been able to, work the cap differently than they chose to and hang on to Shelby Harris and Puna Ford, Al Woods, two out of those three, I'd feel much better right now. And it might be a a case where, you know, those guys are are still out there unsigned that, that they end up coming in at some point. He keeps talking Um, about it. He's not shy about talking about wanting those guys back. Yeah. So if he can get those guys back, I'd feel much better because that's, that's where they're, the team is just really weak. It's weak right up front in, yeah. on the defense, and that's not a place you want to be weak. Um, now, where they're strong is on the back end, you know, especially now that they added Witherspoon yeah. uh, with the fifth overall pick. Um, this is the best set of young um, cornerbacks in the NFL. Um, I mean, the Jets will will try and say otherwise because they've got a couple uh, of premier guys as well. But mm-hmm. these are two guys that are Pro Bowl cal- caliber. Um, you know, Woolen played at, a, at an all-pro level last year. So um, find me a better one. It's awesome to see. I think that teams are going to struggle to throw on Seattle, provided they can find a pass rush. So 
when we got to five and the Seahawks were on the clock and they ran it down, you know, to the last minute, I think minute and a half on that. Uh, John did say later, he took some calls, but said that there were two players that they were going to stay for. And there's been some speculation that Will Anderson might've been one of the other two, Weatherspoon being one. Uh, but some people feel it was Anthony Richardson and we didn't know what was going to happen above them. There was a lot of talk about, how much they liked Richardson. And you could see it just the way he carries himself. He's a Seahawk. Once the Colts took him and not Levis, which is where all the pre-draft kind of buzz was centered around. And you knew that quarterback wasn't in play. Cause I don't think any of us thought they were going to go Levis at five. Not at five. Did you immediately then pivot to, well, there's been all this smoke. Excuse me, guys. There's been all this smoke about Witherspoon. Maybe those reports are real. That's where we're going to go. And when the nameplate came up at the bottom of the screen, you weren't surprised? Or were you still kind of leaning Jalen Carter, Tyree Wilson there? I was very much um, not Wilson. He he doesn't fit Seattle's scheme. He's more of a a 4-3 end exclusively. He doesn't really do the 3-4 outside linebacker thing. Um, I was still thinking Carter. Honestly, when when Richardson left, I was like, okay, well, they just made it really easy on Seattle. Um, And Seattle didn't go that route. They went with Witherspoon, which was a a surprise, but not a bad surprise. I mean, it's not a a pick that makes them significantly better because they already had a really good secondary. But there's a difference between a really good secondary and this because this is special. This is a special group now that they've added Witherspoon to it. And when you pick at five, you don't get a chance to pick there very often. You better get a premier special player. And they did. Bill, how many conversations have you had on your Twitter feed over the last three or four months uh, as you speculate what the Seahawks might have done at five with people telling you, stop talking about corner because they, they, they'll never take one that high? Sure. And that's the prevailing uh, thought process. And I, I get that. Uh, obviously, it's proved out over uh, the course of 10 years. But uh, when you take a look at the draft and, and you want a surefire prospect, as Keith mentioned, you're going to consider everything. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what they did. You know, I guess if, uh, if you had a crystal ball, you could look at Jalen Carter and rule him out, uh, out, off, out of hand. The Seahawks, though, went into that process and did their due diligence on that prospect all the way to the very end, uh, which is what they should have done and did too. And then uh, Witherspoon, you started hearing about Witherspoon as a possibility at five, Uh, The closer we got to the draft, probably inside of 10 days. And uh, if you really uh, took a look at the prospect prior, uh, you would have seen a prospect that was ideally suited uh, for Pete Carroll and that Seattle defense. Uh, If you take the the historic measurables away on on the height and weight, uh, he's everything that they look for in in a guy. And and Pete came out and essentially said, this guy is special, Uh, virtually almost generational. Uh, in the way that he approaches the game, uh, the way that he jumps routes, is aggressive, physicality, uh, mental uh, side of the game, all that stuff. So, um, you know, as far as the the, the prospect that, that they may have been staying there for, I, uh, Brady Henderson did come out with a tweet uh, just today, this, this morning, that did confirm, in fact, it was Anderson hmm. that they would be there for, and Richardson was never in play. Interesting. Uh, they, they sure played that smoke screen. Well, didn't they trying to get somebody to come on? And I did read speculation today that, that that entire effort was to try to get somebody to come up to three with Arizona's pick to get a quarterback so that Anderson would slide. Mm-hmm. But then the Texans throw the curveball and they come up to back themselves up so yeah. they can get the quarterback and Will Anderson. 
once we got past five and you knew that Jalen Carter wasn't in play anymore, did your focus then shift to, and I'll start with you on this one, Keith. Okay. Well now where are we going to get defensive line from? Yeah. And pretty much you kind of like, you see that Carter's not in play. You're looking at 20 and you're like, all right, Kalijah Kansi, just have his name on the card. Be ready. As soon as it gets to your turn, just hand it in. Um, and then he goes at 19. Uh, you Tampa. think, you think that might've been one of the upsets that Schneider yeah, was talking about? Absolutely. That, that was, that was a complete upset. That was, that was the pick. That was the, the, um, that is, it's like just a perfect fit in mm. terms of, uh, player profile, team need, um, high end talent. It just, everything lines up perfectly. If he, um, falls one more spot to 20, um, it's great player at the right spot and the right position. So, um, but it didn't happen, right? Yeah. 19, um, he goes 19 to, to Tampa. And at that point, what are you going to do there? Because if I'm looking at that, I'm like, okay, we've got to get defensive line. Well, what are you going to do? You're going to reach for a Mozzie Smith um, who went, 26. you know, 10 picks later yeah. um, or, you know, seven, seven or eight picks later. But I, th I think was probably going to go after that mm. um, in terms of his tape don't reach right with they reached for LJ Collier because this kind of stuff happened where they got, um, they missed out. So they, they, they decided not to do that. And they went and got the best player on the board, which was the wide receiver, which wasn't neat. I mean, I get that we have the CX have two receivers that are both top 20 in the NFL, mm -hmm. but they've got nothing behind them. Yeah. Um, they, they need nothing more, into the future. Yeah. They, they need other guys. And, to get the best wide receiver in the entire draft, which I don't think is really that debatable. Um, the, to get the best wide receiver prospect in the draft uh, just made sense. Uh, it was disappointing because it wasn't defensive line, but the truth is where are you going to get defensive line at that at that spot? Kansi's gone. Are you going to reach? Yeah, Brzee and Murphy went after at the end of the first round. Um, would those... Would those have been reaches at that spot for you? I, 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 I think, think so, so. Yeah. given Brisey's, um injury and, you know, all of that stuff. Um, I'll give you two more names. I'll just piggyback on what Keith was saying. Um, Nolan Smith, obviously, I think was mm -hmm. one player that they may have considered uh, went a little bit later. Uh, the edge rusher, Will McDonald, I understand that they really liked, went to the Jets at 15. Yeah, I believe that was a player that they were considering as well. He was the first uh, one I thought of. I, I thought that, you know, we played it out of position at Iowa State last year. And I, th I think just like the Jets did, if you heard the draft call that uh, Sala had with McDonald, where he's saying, we're going to get you out of that four eye. We're going to put you at wide nine and let you rip. Maybe the most dynamic yeah. edge rusher in the draft. Yeah. And he just had Seahawk written all over him. That was the first name I thought of when he talked about the upsets. Yeah. But I, you know, and, and Keith and I debated quite a bit on, on the first round, um, how that went overall for Seattle. And I was <clears throat> mostly in favor of it. Uh, because it was two premier uh, positions, um, I felt like the need in both those spots was greater than maybe uh, Keith did. Uh, it's understandable Keith's position, but I thought, you know, we've got some good players, uh, and particularly Mike Jackson opposite Woolen. But mm -hmm. I said to Keith, you know, if the team had an opportunity to upgrade that spot, they may take it. And um, we, we talked, uh, you know, at length, and you did too on your show, Dan, about Julius Brents. Later on in the in the second, uh, you know, third round area, as being a player that they might uh, look at, and that would be also an upgrade, I think, over Mike Jackson. I think they were disappointed a little bit 
in their tackle rate, their missed tackles and so forth. And he's known for coming up and being physical and, and tackling and stuff, but they missed a lot of tackles in that. Yeah, 75 uh, tackles missed in the secondary last year, yeah. And so, and Witherspoon is just a complete and total different kind of player uh, that they're used to. Uh, perfect match uh, on the opposite side against Woolen. It's, it's a total upgrade. So when you take a look at the premier position at corner, and you, now you've gone from a pretty solid group to an elite group, uh, that's a win for Seattle. You do the same thing at wide receiver. You take a, a really nice solid group at the very top. It's top heavy. Nothing really underneath the, those guys in Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. Immediately, uh, Najigba comes in and is just a, a complete uh, solidifier at that third wide receiver spot. Yeah. Starts in the slot, expands his route tree from there, and is able to grow into that position eventually, possibly Tyler Lockett's uh, replacement. So. I thought it was a great first round for Seattle. You know, I judge uh, a lot of times. Um, I, I I try to judge just my initial reaction, like when the name pops up, right? And sometimes you always have in your head. You know, I know Keith, you do a shadow draft, right, where you're mm -hmm. actually writing down who you would take in that spot. But in your head, you're cycling through two or three names that you want to visualize. And I don't know about you guys, but I'll I'll try to watch the commissioner's mouth to see if I can read like the first syllable that's coming out of his mouth when he announces the name. And, you know, JSN was a guy that, that early in the mock draft process, the beginning of the season was probably my most mocked player at 20. It just made all the sense. And where the draft fell, it kind of made sense there too. But, you know, this was an unpredictable draft. When his name flashed up, I mean, I was genuinely excited. I, I think he's the perfect, I think he's a perfect fit. And I think the value there, John made the point. If he had come out, if he had been eligible the year before, even with his two teammates coming out the year before, uh, you know, he's not going at 20. There's, yeah. there's, there's no way uh, for what they needed. I thought that was perfect. So we get out of that day one's over, right? We've talked about day one a lot, but it, it was after day two in the post draft press conference that Schneider really talked about the upset issue. And I thought their body language and demeanor wasn't great. It wasn't mm -hmm. on the level of the year that they took Collier when they were visibly upset at how the whole thing went. Like their plans just went out the window and nothing went their way. Um, it didn't seem that severe. Um, but man, Schneider sure seemed perturbed. What, who are some of the guys that you think on day two that they thought were going to fall to that, what 52 spot where they took Charbonnet that, uh, they got sniped. Actually it was, uh, the pick 37, uh, Keanu Benton, mm -hmm. I think it was the guy defensive lineman, nose tackle. He looks like, a Seahawk and the fact that he went a couple picks before, I think that was one of those things. I think they thought they had it, things lining up, you know, the player at the right spot in the draft position of need, right quality. And it didn't, they, he got, they got sniped again. And I think that was a big part of the problem uh, for them. And then when you get down to like 52, um, God, there's a there's a few guys that went right before there. I think Joe uh, that Tipman went, to the Jets at 43. A bunch of the, bunch of the, the centers, at 48 yeah. was it. Yep. And then, not to correct you or, or whatever, but Keanu Benton went 49 to the Steelers. Oh, uh, so maybe I was thinking. I mean, but I was went before the Charbonnet. Yeah, the, the way yeah, he yeah, talked yeah. about the Charbonnet pick in, in almost an offhanded way, like they love him, but they were like, we didn't think he was going to be there. It, it Again, it was right after he talked about the upsets thing. And yeah. I think those two things were tied in together. I think they had their mm -hmm. eye on someone at 52 and it might've been some of these interior offensive linemen. Cause that's where the run started there too. Tittman, yeah. Cody mock. Um, yep. Right. It, and uh, they talked about specifically the trenches. Yeah. You know, we know we need to help, uh, help on the defensive line. We know we need interior 
uh, guys uh, on the offensive line. So it wasn't any surprise that they, it was, it was surprising that they actually came out and, and admitted that during the draft. And it could have but, also been because, so we trade out of the third round. Mm-hmm. And and I wonder if you know that would played into part of it too that they they yeah. traded well, out Pickens thinking some guys were going to sixty four Sidney Brown the the safety that they really liked went at sixty six Byron Young the defensive tackle yeah I think from he Alabama was, he was one they probably liked. To, to the Raiders and then they were like you know what <clears throat> our board is filled with guys that that we really don't care for or that we expect to be uh, available a little later let's go ahead and, and pick up that. A tremendous value of yeah. a third round pick in 2024 Steel. and, and go ahead and just punt and, and we'll still be okay. Uh, I've heard, yeah, some, I didn't, I've heard nobody some, should have any problem with that. I, I, no. I, I saw some people on Twitter like freaking out about, Oh my God, they traded completely out of the, right. out of the round. I'm like, yeah, they did. They basically fabricated a fourth round pick out yeah. of thin air. Um, because it's not like next year, the third round pick they're getting from Denver next year is going to be worse than the third round pick they gave up. It's essentially a straight across to just pushing yeah. it a year later into a draft that's going to be better talent and much deeper next year than this one. Um, so you want more picks there and they get the fourth round pick this year. So it's it's just there's it's nothing but win in that trade for Seattle. And those same fans are going to be really happy next year when we have that extra third. Right. Um, oh, yeah. and, and and that was another moment of transparency for Snyder where he flat out said one of their goals coming into this draft was to get a pick, get a pick next year and get into that draft that he admitted he projected to be much stronger. Um, mm-hmm. I, I heard some Ricky Stromberg speculation too. He went a lot higher than people were projecting him to go the center out of Arkansas, but from an athletic profile, um, a guy that might have made sense that the Seahawks liked because he was more athletic than some of the other centers, certainly than a little team who they end up with later. Uh, interesting to kind of go back and dissect some of that stuff. And um, the, there was a run on linebackers there too. They may have had their eye on, yeah. on Hanley really and some of those like, guys. Uh, Bradford though, uh, the lineman they did pick up at, at, at 108. It seemed like he was the guy that they were going to target and, and surprised that he was still there at, at 108. I think they, that was the, one of the easier picks that they had in this draft. So it, maybe that's the answer to this next question. Let's get into that. Uh, Bill, let's start with you. Who was your, uh, and it can be obvious or it can be not obvious. Who's your favorite pick of the 10? Wow. Um, interesting. You know, <laughs> my favorite pick is actually uh, right at the top at Witherspoon, really. I've got a I've one B and we can talk about that for a half a second. But Witherspoon really is going to have the largest impact of, of all. I think you immediately solidify your back make it, it almost um, uh, essentially two Pro Bowl corners. Uh, they've got good safety play already. They've got, you know, spot plus nice depth at that position. But he's going to come in right away and just have a huge impact, uh, cause a lot of uh, pass breakups, pass defense, uh, tip balls, uh, interceptions. It's kind of a turnover machine back there. Bring that physicality and that mental toughness to that defense that um, has been lacking, you know, in the last two or three years. For me, outside of Bijan is probably Charbonnet. I like the running back at Charbonnet, you know, just because uh, while uh, the the Twitterverse and and a lot of fans will say, you know, running backs don't matter uh, running back in the second round until they do after we chose another edge rusher, we chose the running back two years in a row. It's, but when you take a look at the roster, after Kenneth Walker, we had DJ Dallas. That was it. We didn't have any undrafted guys. We didn't have any practice squad guys. We had nothing. 
And DJ Dallas is a fine player, but he's not a number two running back in the NFL. Right. And as much as they want to run the ball here in Seattle, you got to have a guy that's 1B. Also, Ken Walker had quite a bit of his summer last year prior to uh, to the first game uh, injured a little bit, nicked up. And he, he missed a game as well. Uh, and then he had tons of carries last year. So there was a seven or eight game stretch where he had like 250 touches. And you can't expect him to, to hold up to that throughout the yeah. year. So they needed a guy that was able to really come in and, and uh, solidify that spot. And I just, that was a perfect fit, um, perfect need, perfect fit uh, for Seattle. Well, and yeah, I, Bill mocked Bill mocked him to Seattle almost every time we did a mock. <laughs> that was crazy. Um, so, yeah, definitely. I would try to. I just uh, couldn't get him. Uh, you know, he went higher than I wanted to take him. And, and this is what I will tell people about the whole running back value thing. And it, we just we just dissected it. I, I don't think they went into uh, Friday planning. on. I don't think Charbonnet at 52 was plan A. Mm -mm. But when some of their guys came off the board that they expected and hoped it would be there, maybe, he was the highest guy on their board. And they stuck to their plan. Um, right. I, I was going to say this about Witherspoon real quick. I, I think outside of Bijan Robinson, for me, uh, my favorite tape of of the process, the most fun tape to watch of any player in this draft uh, was Witherspoon. A lot of fun. Uh, Keith, your favorite pick? My favorite pick um, actually is start, not until day three. Uh, Anthony Bradford, the guard out of LSU. He is um, he's my kind of player. I mean, offensive line, right? That's that's kind of what I'm known for. Right. But he's he is huge. He's a massive human being. He's a road grader. He is going to push defensive tackles back into into linebackers he may not be a great um pass blocker at this this point because his feet are a little slow but i mean basically he's phil haynes but younger and without all the injury problems um he's going to push guys he's going to uh, make holes walker and charbonnet are going to love him hmm. and um anytime you can get a guy that is going to come in and be a contributor, be a starter, maybe not at week one, but at some point in the season, someone will get hurt. He'll step in and he'll never let go of it. Um, yeah. I love those picks. So that that's, that's the, yeah, he, in the trenches stuff that they need. He was the most physical uh, lineman in the draft. I thought, and you know, there's a, there's a trend when you take a look at all the picks, they're gritty, they're tough, strong, hardworking, physical leaders, passion. They like the love the, the game. Um, Witherspoon's the most physical and tenacious player in the draft at any position or size. Uh, Najigba loves football. Hall's a leader of among, among men. His coach called him the best player and the person he's ever coached. Uh, Charbonnet is the most physical running back in this draft. Young, one of uh, Jim Nagy's favorite players out of the senior bowl. Bradford, the most physical offensive guard in the draft. Mike Morris, a beast defending yeah. the run. Oluwatimi is the smartest player in this draft and, and it is got the experience that nobody else had at that position in the draft. Jarek Reed is just a feisty guy, a hard worker. They love him. And Kenny McIntosh has the biggest chip on his shoulder uh, coming out of this draft. Yeah. So uh, I just love, I love this whole. It's funny as we, as, as we used to uh, try to, identify what we thought were Seahawk prospects leading up to a draft. We, we used to focus so much on physical thresholds and, and length and height, weight, speed, uh, next year leading up to the draft, I'm going to try and get my hands on player interviews and, and see how these guys carry themselves. Cause that 
is is the quality that I think they rate the highest. And Schneider talked about it uh, again openly after Saturday about the the three different boards they have, and one's medical, and one is for. And I this was after Greg Bell asked him a question that was very slyly worded, so he didn't name Jalen Carter, but he was clearly trying to pry. Uh, where they have a board for players that are great players physically, but don't meet their standards for what kind of guy they are. And he talked a lot about being self-motivated. And and I think that was the biggest question mark about Cardi. When you see these guys and you listen to their interviews afterwards, every single one, you know, as soon as the, the press gets off the phone with them, oh, one of the best interviews I've ever had, you know, the guy's passionate, he's excited. Um, so they clearly have a type and, they, and they're going to stick to it and they want to jam that locker room full. And it's funny, you know, you mentioned Malik McDowell, Keith, and how they've changed some of their evaluation process since then. I think they've changed their evaluation process uh, as much. I don't think this gets talked about enough as much because of what happened with the collapse of the Legion of Boom and the whole thing with the infighting with them and the offense and Russell Wilson. I think they they are bound and determined to jam that locker room full of guys that aren't going to put themselves before the team, aren't going to break that number two golden rule of Carol's and, and just genuinely love football. And if they're, and they're talented too, but. Uh, so how, how do you balance that Dan? when you take a look at the love of football uh, with an alpha dog mentality, which, you know, you've got to add a little bit of humble to, to that equation, but an, how do you, how do you get those guys that are both? I'm glad you asked that because I, the, the alpha term was used specifically by someone in relation to Derek Hall. And, and I think it was misused because to me, and I think most people assume, you know, alpha is almost narcissistic level, uh, confidence in yourself and, uh, get out of my way. I'm going to accomplish what I want to accomplish. No one's going to get in my way. I don't know that that is what that writer meant to use. Um, or maybe they did, or maybe I don't understand the definition of alpha. I think you can be supremely confident and uh, really strong in your convictions um, and still be a team first guy and do whatever it Agreed. takes. I mean, there's different leadership styles. And yeah. I think that's what that points to yeah. guys that are, that are quiet, but lead on the field guys that are vocal, but don't need to dominate a, a conversation or uh, uh, the spotlight of another player. Um, guys that just play within themselves and, and are supremely confident are also, you yeah. know, alpha guys as well. They're just confident, but yet. I think what we're talking about enough. in this, it can be um, really summarized by the difference between Richard Sherman and Cam Chancellor. Mm. Um, Richard, Richard Sherman was very vocal, very out in front, very um, talking about himself and, and, and that kind of stuff. And you almost never heard Cam do like anything like that he was behind the scenes he was talking to guys he was building guys up when they had a rough day he was um you know yelling at people who were being lazy uh in coverage and being that leader but not trying to put himself in front of a camera um it's interesting and it, they're both alphas absolutely um that's what made Richard Sherman great was the fact that he was just in everybody's face. Um, and, but it was also what made Cam Chancellor great was that he was such a dynamic leader without having to be in front of a camera. It's interesting too. There's a little moment that I noticed on Friday um, that stood out to me um, that, that is along these lines of, of Seahawk type of player and, and someone that wants to be a Seahawk. That's very important to them as well. And you have to sell them on that in the interview process also. 
Keon White was a guy that I really liked and thought would have been a fit as a real versatile defensive lineman, even though he's a little bit overage, the kid out of Georgia, Georgia Tech. Um, when he was taken by New England, lower than people expected, he was one of the 17 people invited to be in the green room uh, or to be at the draft. He didn't go on day one. He went early in the second round. I thought he might have been a guy that would make sense for the Seahawks. If he fell to him, they showed his reaction when he was picked. And every kid the Seahawks took, even the ones that went later than they expected, like Kenny McIntosh famously, the second they got the call, it was relief. It was exhilaration. It was, I'm going to go to Seattle and I'm going to prove myself. Keon White was so angry in his, I don't know if you saw that, but it, they showed him on his couch with his family. He was just so mad. He couldn't even allow himself to be excited about being chosen in the NFL draft. And it's just little things like that stand out to me now that I pay more attention to. Like, I wonder if that was a little bit of a tip of, of maybe why he wasn't higher on their board. Uh, but let's get back to some of our favorites and least favorites. I don't want to use the word hate. I don't think there's anyone on this list that universally people have panned. Um, outside of the the running back non-believers. Uh, Keith, do you have a pick out of the 10 that you're just not crazy about? I'm not crazy about Derek Hall, um, mm. which is, you know, uh, pick 37 in the draft. Um, sixth pick is in the second round, the edge out of Auburn. Um, I watched a bunch of film after the Seahawks uh, took him, not highlights, but actual film um, from a couple of different games. And I saw a guy that just didn't make an impact. Mm. Um, and most plays, you couldn't tell he was there. Um, I know he's super athletic and I know that he is, um, you know, like team captain and, and super leader and, and such a like charismatic guy. But if I'm taking, you know, 37th pick in the draft, I want a, a difference maker. I want a playmaker. And I just didn't see it at all hmm. um, in in the tape that I watched. And so I came away from that thinking, OK, that seems like a guy that, you know, at this point is Uchina Nuwasu's backup. And we just pick, used the 37th pick in the draft on it for a guy's backup. Hmm. And that was disappointing. I, I want to say this about Derek Hall because I listened uh, to your comments about him on your last show and specifically that you had gone and immediately watched the Alabama tape from last year. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to do the same thing because I, I had one of the reasons Derek Hall was not a guy that I almost, I don't think I ever mocked him and all the hundreds of mocks that I did because he just didn't seem twitchy and dynamic enough to me. And when I would watch film, I would see him just kind of extend his arms and engage the tackle and kind of set the edge, which I thought maybe it's just a scheme thing. And I'm not seeing what some scouts see. It was just boring tape to me to your point. But then I turned on that same Alabama tape and in the first 15 plays of the game, I saw him once from the, against the right tackle and once against their left tackle, Tyler Steen, who was a third round pick of the Eagles um, on Friday, uh, use, use leverage and use that and uh, one arm and, and push the tackle back into uh, Bryce Young uh, with one arm and show power and speed to power and get off and everything else. And um, to me, that was a flash. The, the one thing that's interesting to me about him is I've read multiple scouts say, uh, one of the best get offs in the draft. And I don't know that that's really evident on tape, but sometimes I wonder maybe it's scheme in the way he's coached at Auburn too. It's, he seems to be a certainly a guy that Carolyn Schneider like. Well, yeah, it is a scheme thing, I think. And um, having gone back and rewatched all of it again, cause you know, Bill gave me the riot act for not liking the pick. Um, what I saw a lot was uh, especially in that, in that Alabama game was him setting an edge. Yeah. Even on a pass play, they were asking him to make sure that if it had been a run, 
that that edge was set properly and then maybe get after the passer. Um, and so there was a lot of that. And so it, it might just simply be a case of them asking him to do something which didn't flash and didn't show up the way I expected it to um, because of the scheme, because that's what they wanted him to do. Um, wasn't to get after the quarterback, you know, off the snap. It was to set that edge because Alabama loves to run the ball and you gotta, you gotta, you gotta have that edge set so that everyone else can, uh, you know, get in and make those tackles. So that, that could be part of it. Um, But yeah, it, it was, the tape was disappointing when I went back and looked at it and, and, um, I'll be the first to admit I'm wrong when he comes in as a Seahawk and, you know, just blows it away and looks amazing during camp. And I'll be very happy to be wrong at that point. I know the scheme is slightly different and I've heard a lot of player comps for him, um, solid player comps, but one that I hadn't heard. Um, but it just kind of occurred to me when I was looking at his, his, um, height, weight, strength, speed stuff yesterday again was he is exactly the same height and weight as Chris Clemens. And uh, which surprised me because he looks, maybe it's the number he wears. He looks he doesn't look six, three when you watch the tape. Uh, maybe it's the long arms. It just kind of skews how he looks physically. But then when you go to mock draftable and you see the web, you know, all the, the testing, uh, much more dynamic of an athlete than Chris Clemens ever was in every, in, uh, in the short area quickness stuff and the explosion testing. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if they can maybe kind of use him in a similar way, even though the scheme's a little different. Bill, uh, your least favorite pick. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, let me piggyback really quick on on Derek Hall on what Keith said. <clears throat> I agree with most of what Keith is saying. He's still, you know, he comes in with a bull rush and a solid run defender, but needs to develop. And he has Nuasu, Taylor, Mafe, Tyreek Smith, Robinson ahead of him right now on the depth chart. He's going to have to work his way up, prove himself. I think the reason they brought him in and drafted him is is for those skills. And he is kind of a beast defending the run. They're, they're, they've been poor at that. I think they want to improve. But it's his character. It's his leadership quality. It's his grit and toughness that they're they're drawn to with this pick. And they're hoping that uh, in addition to those things, he's able to develop the, the skill set necessary to be, a, to be a good player. And I think, um, and that's the hope with him. For me, as far as the least favorite pick, it's hard to come up with one. Yeah. Uh, with this draft class, but I'm just going to say Jackson uh, Smith and uh, Najigba uh, only from a injury potential issue um, had a great 2021 season, put up 1600 yards player that uh, the game at the Rose bowl, put up over 300 and what 60, 70 yards of, um, of yardage in that game. Um, but spent most of 2022 out with a hamstring injury didn't have really any effect on, on the season uh, for Ohio, Ohio State. And we already have one of those players on the roster in D. Eskridge. And uh, so that gave me just a little bit of pause. Was mm. we, we, we chose a player at 20 based on his 2021 film. And so that, that was a little red flag. But other than that, love the pick. Uh, hopefully he, he turns out great. All the projections... Uh, say that he will. He came in and did some uh, agility testing uh, at his pro day while Pete Carroll and John Snyder were there. And um, by all accounts, it went off really well. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I guess I'll just jump in and and add my two cents. Um, And again, it's really hard to nitpick this draft. I mean, you could maybe say Jarek Reed, but even he looks like he has some really fun qualities and, and kind of fits their scheme and can move around and do multiple things. He totally looks like a guy that can contribute. Um, from hard, me- to, hard to pan a six yard, a six round pick though. Right. You know what I mean? Like right. you're taking a flyer on a guy that late. Yeah. So, and that's why, that's why this, you know, I, I, I hesitate to say this, but my, my least favorite pick, uh, personally was Kenny McIntosh, not because I don't like the player. Cause I do, I, it's crazy to me that he ran a four, six and I watched it happen at the combine. Cause he doesn't look like a four, six player when he's playing. Um, and, and I think he could be an outstanding third down back, maybe an upgrade over what Travis Homer was giving him because he's bigger and, and he has that experience at a high level. Um, but only because of opportunity cost, I wanted one more guy, young guy added to that defensive line. And I was looking at some guys that were versatile that could play Moro inside Ojomo and out. Was and it was Moro Ajomo was a guy that <laughs> yeah. I wanted and I'd been mocking him for months and he was there in the seventh round and he went undrafted, didn't he? No, Philadelphia took him in the seventh round after we did. So he was on the board. He was available. And I thought he would have a perfect complimentary piece who's outstanding against the run. One scouting report I read said that he was, uh, his, his run defense was like training tape, like coaching tape on how to defend the run. And, and, um, so I just kind of wanted that. And I thought, you know, McIntosh himself thought that he might slip out of the draft. And there were some other running backs that looked like they were going to go undrafted and did that I think could have given a similar value. So that's a little it tough just one. It seemed like, you know, it, it seemed like without pick Seattle was just determined to leave the draft with two running backs. Yeah. 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 Which makes sense. Cause, and I'll say this too, about the people that are still sweating about two back-to-back second round pick running backs in the last two drafts. It's not going to happen next year. Right. They're going to be so that running back room is young and cheap now for the next three to four years. Uh, maybe even longer considering, uh, well, none of those guys are first round picks, so there's no fifth year option, but at least three or four years, they're not taking a running back in the second or third round next year. So just just relax. Um, my favorite pick is uh, actually Mike Morris. And for a couple of reasons, one is he was one of the first edge guys that I identified early in the process when I was looking for guys that looked like three, four defensive ends, because I thought that was a real weakness on the roster. Um, but I, But also... And, and so, you know, for them to end up taking him was kind of personally satisfying. But also when you watch his tape, he's just a big ball of clay. He has the motor. He has the physicality. He has the long arms. Um, he just needs refinement. And I think he can be that dirty work guy that might never get more than six or seven sacks in a season, um, but can set the edge and and maybe even move inside a little bit. And, uh, and be a reliable guy to play that spot so that we're not playing guys out of position in that scheme. I just, uh, my re- my only player. pause with, with uh, him as a prospect was that he's not ready-made uh, in the NFL. Hmm. Uh, he came in, Clint Hurt talked to him. He's going to add some weight. They want to evaluate him at a, at a three-tech uh, spot yeah, in this defense as a, as a 3-4 defensive end. That's all fine and dandy. He's just not ready to, to come in and, and be successful at doing that right away. Yeah. He's going to need a little bit of time. Yeah. 
for sure. Yeah, I mean, with him, um, he kind of reminds me a lot of L.J. Collier, except for that L.J. Collier was a first-round pick and he was a fifth-round pick, which is kind of hmm. appropriate for that quality of player. Um, but it's a very similar guy. They're just a guy that you can be, um, you know, that end in the 3-4. He's going to... Um, eat up blocks, that kind of stuff, and maybe not get after the quarterback because he doesn't, he's not that, he's not twitched up uh, athletically, but he's going to be solid. And, and so I actually like that pick. Um, but yeah, it's LJ Collier, but at a reasonable draft position. Yeah. Much lower expectations. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, probably end up better. <laughs> there are, uh, so the, then the Seahawks go out after the draft and they signed 28 it, reportedly. I don't know if it's official as we talk today. A lot of the teams are actually officially releasing their lists now. Uh, and they're even being added to over the cap, uh, 28 players going into this draft. There were 52 signed players when typically entering the draft, they have somewhere in the mid seventies, they draft 10, they sign 28. So they almost have a 90 man roster now. Um, Keith, let's start with you. I'm sure you've you've taken a look at some of these guys. Uh, any of them stand out to you? Um, you got to give me a minute. Start with Bill. <laughs> Bill, <laughs> yeah, no, I'll, I'll go. I need to. Yeah, I just need like, to look at the list again. Obviously, yeah. obviously, the first one that comes to my mind is Chris Stoll, the long snapper, won the 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 2022 Patrick Mentally Award for the best long snapper in college football. Right? Now, hopefully, he makes. So we got the, the best corner, the, the best receiver, have, and the best long snapper. In the yeah, it, we'd never have to mention him again. <laughs> that would be great. Um, <laughs> there's there's a few players really here that are that are actually interesting. Christian Young, the safety out of Arizona, um, at six one, two hundred twenty eight, but around a four six forty. He's got some athletic upside. Jordan Ferguson, the edge out of Middle uh, Tennessee, uh, super productive defensive end. Um, Jonah uh, Jonah Tabai is an interesting uh, defensive tackle. Um, oh gosh, uh, Griffin Herbert, the tight end out of Louisiana Tech. Uh, 239 pounds, a four five five forty, super athletic, uh, pass catching tight end, uh, H back, uh, first six games in 2022, led all tight ends in the nation in receiving yards, as well as uh, all players in the nation as yard, yards per catch before he was injured ankle injury, uh, basically ended the, the season for him. CJ Johnson is actually the, the, the hmm. pick that I think everyone's talking about when you went out and take the, they, they, they brought in a, a quarterback, um, in Allers um, at Eastern Carolina uh, University. And he was his teammate. He's been his teammate since high school. Yeah. But this receiver, when you went out and watched the Allers tape, there, there was a player that just kept showing up. That's and exactly right. Johnson, right? <laughs> and it was six, one and a half, 224 pounds, looked like a rock. I mean, he just looked like a running back out there, um, mm -hmm. but with a nice vertical uh, jump and uh, using his body to uh, body out cornerbacks and safeties out of the way to, to um, win jump balls and contested catches. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of separation there, but he has the, the physical profile to, to win those matchups. And um, it, it's just a, an interesting uh, opportunity, I think, for this guy maybe to make the back end of the roster since uh, after uh, Derek Young and, and Dwayne Eskridge, who we just don't know can make it out of camp, there might be an opportunity there for a young player to come in that the team has control over for a while to, to learn on special teams and then work himself into a situation. And there's a few other players as well, but yeah. that guy really stood out. It's so funny the way you tell that story. And you and I had not talked about CJ Johnson or Holt Nailers. Um, but about two months ago in one of the Seahawk uh, Facebook fan groups, someone said to me, we we're talking about quarterbacks and should they take one at five? And someone said to me, check out this kid from East Carolina. 
230 pounds. He's Lefty. 40, like 50 career starts, tons of production. And I'm like, all right, I'll check him out. And and it's fun tape. Unfortunately, he has, like Philip Rivers thinks he has a long delivery. That's that's how long this guy's delivery is. And, and I guess if it was a compact yeah. delivery, maybe he would have been a draftable player. Um, but super interesting, even at that size too, like has a career, uh, oh, I thought I wrote it down here, has a bunch of like, also has 1,500 uh, career rushing yards and 25 touchdowns on the ground too. Yeah. But it, I didn't, I'm not talking about him because I think he has 15, any shot. 1,373 <laughs> total offensive yards yeah. Yeah. in college. Wait, wait, wait. Don't, don't move on. Yet. We got to talk about this guy just for one more and 120 second. touchdowns. He's a left-handed quarterback and has Viking royalty heritage. I, I kid you not. And so being, being uh, a little bit Norwegian myself, uh, he he is definitely one of my favorite prospects. I'll, I will. Be he's he's going to make carefully. the preseason fun. Like it's you know, and maybe you know, look, they work with these guys, and if they can tighten up his release a little bit, that was the only issue I had with him. And it, and it's not an elite arm. You didn't see him making tight he window seam throws. throws. But I mean, he made all the throws, which was actually nice to see. Now it's Eastern Carolina, but right, the guy wasn't um, misfiring. He wasn't throwing them low. Wasn't throwing them high. He was getting them in, dropping them in the bucket. Um, and, and that's what you kind of want to see. And, yeah. and then you bring him in and you see what he's got in person, find out if you can work him in. But And yeah, I, did, but I did the same thing you did. I'm watching the tape and it's just C.J. Johnson, like over and right. over again for the play. I'm like, who's this guy? And he at first he reminded me of David Moore a little bit, compact, you know, stout, like you said, looks like a running back, like contested catches. I was surprised he only ran a 4-6 when I read that, but that's probably the reason he went undrafted, right? Um, he is super experienced, uh, career, 175 catches, 2,849 yards and 21 touchdowns in his career, played a lot of football. Uh, somebody made an AJ Brown comp today, just physically how he looks like him. And again, winning the contested catches, although Brown certainly is not a four, six, 40 guy. Um, he's one that stood out to me. And then you, the opposite end of that spectrum, as far as athleticism goes, is, is I remember watching Matt Landers run his 40 at the combine uh, transfer receiver played at a couple of different schools, ended up at Arkansas six, four, 200 ran a four, three, seven with a 37 inch vertical and a 10, 10 broad jump uh, had some production at Arkansas last year at 47 catches, 900 yards, eight touchdowns. Um, he's going to be interesting to watch uh, for sure. Jake Bobo, another big receiver who, isn't the dynamic athlete, um, but I think Michael, Michael Bumpus and Chip Kelly really like him. Six five two fifteen, and and a um, I think it's Dane Brugler who said, uh, "Oh no, no, it was a uh, Lance Zerline, the the NFC or the NFL dot com uh, little scouting blurb where he said his best chance. He said if he adds you know thirty twenty five pounds and becomes a move tight end, a uh, guy that was really productive and and could be a big slot type of guy, mm -hmm. and then." Uh, Robert Cooper, they had to they had to add more to that nose tackle spot uh, out of Florida State, 6'2", 335. Um, doesn't offer you much, much as a pass rusher, uh, but all the reports on him, really stout, really tough to move. Um, maybe he's the next Brian Monet as an undrafted free agent. Uh, and Rob Rang talks about what a tough situation he made it through at Florida State. They had all sorts of issues there. And uh, he was just a tough guy that just hung in there and just did all the dirty work and just kept coming back. Um, might give him some upside as a, as a potential, um, some depth one, there. At one nose more tackle. defensive tackle that I think the team really likes is Afenia, uh Maje, 
the defensive tackle out of Rutgers, mm. 6'2", 290 pounds, ran a 4940. He's got some uh, physical upside as far as agility and athleticism. Compact build, crafty kind of player, really good against the run, gets good leverage, high effort guy, thicker defender, pursues well. Um, you know, just a name to watch at this point, but yeah. um, the team uh, apparently likes him a lot. Mm. Keith, how do you feel like, you touched on at the beginning of the show, and we talked specifically about maybe there's some free agents that they still bring back. Um, how do you feel overall looking at the roster, comparing the roster as it is right now to the one that finished the season last year? Is it better? Um, wow, that's really hard to answer just simply because there's been so much turnover and a lot of it has been, you know, veteran guys for undrafted free agents. Um, I It's... It's more top heavy. It's more talented in terms of its starters. It's but it's more top heavy. There's a um, a team that didn't have a lot of depth last year has less now, um, but it's more talented at the top. Um, I I disagree. So you think the the 28 undrafted free agents make this a deeper team? Uh, no, because none of those guys are going to make the roster. Here here's the reality. Historically, the one team. or two of them do. Well, one or two, yep. but okay, one or two, not 28. Right. Right. Yeah, but it's also it's also one or two out of twelve, not twenty eight. As I mentioned up at the True. top, you know, I think we need to remember what we did in free agency. We we signed Geno Smith. I think that was really important, underrated. Dermont Jones at def, uh, defensive end in a three four, so he's going to play inside, slide inside all over that defensive line. Jaron Reed, same thing. Evan Brown comes in to play center. He's not didn't come in to provide depth necessarily. He's more of a draft hedge. We'll see what happens there with our draft pick. But, you know, he's starter level, not top 20 at, the, at that position in the NFL, but he, he could be good enough. Bobby Wagner comes back, Devin Bush. One guy I didn't mention before was Julian Love, probably my favorite free agent signing to, to solidify that. Now, I know we gave up um, Reed um, to, you know, so that's kind of a wash. But I think he's a little bit better of a player. Um, and, and then all of our draft picks. And then... So for depth, your depth argument, I think that we have the depth. It's just young. You know, we got some key guys there in free agency, I think. That's where, you you know, you're going to spend for need. And then the draft is you're going to acquire talent. So I think we've got we got some talent. Uh, now we just need to go see if, if these guys can fit in on the roster. I think those, those are the guys that give you depth. You'd mentioned, Keith, the idea that we were in a uh, second year of a three-year rebuild. I think that that's actually accurate. And while we can get excited, we made the playoffs last year. Gino got them there. I think they can do that again. Can we get to the NFC Championship game? I'm not sure if we're, we're, we're quite there. Um, th there's, there's still some holes on this roster, and we look forward you know, to the, the 2024 draft and free agency period. I think that's when you really start to round out this, this defense with, with quality starters across the board and, and depth all well. I think you also have to look at a little closer at 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 what left, Bill, because um, yeah, they brought in two defensive linemen, but they cut five veteran defensive linemen in order to make room for two. Like that's the depth that they're missing. Um, and you know, they only had uh, two middle linebackers on the roster last year. They've got two middle linebackers on the roster this year. They didn't get deeper. Uh, at that position, even with bringing Bobby Wagner back. Um, and at safety, Brian Neal has been this 
stable, steady force for the last like three seasons for them to just let him go over two million dollars in cap space when they've got the albatross contract that is um, Jamal Adams sitting there um, made no sense. And that hurts your depth because you can't count on Adams to ever play it down. Um, And so they they were to me that was that was a complete miss because they could have done the opposite of that still ended up with 12 million in, in extra cap space that they could have used to bring back Puna Ford and um you know woods and and those guys so that way they don't have this massive d-line depth issue that they have it currently. certainly seems like they're not done yet Keith, that's what i want to ask so keith tell me this to to continue on from that point uh, as we said earlier, Pete has said, uh, we'd love to have Puna back, love to have Al back. He said it about Shelby Harris too, but not as effusive. Like he, he said, we need mm-hmm. Puna Ford back. And it sounds now like, especially with so, what some of the teams did in the draft, that Al Woods is kind of in that Austin Blythe spot of like, it's either going to be retirement or come back to the Seahawks. If you could only have one of those three guys based on what they just drafted and what they still need up front, which of those three is the best fit? And would you feel most comfortable adding to that roster? I'd bring back Puna. Okay. He's, he's younger, he's more durable. Um, and when it all said and done, I think he's been uh, a better fit. Now Shelby Harris has the, the higher end talent. He's got yeah. uh, years of production that Puna's never matched, um, but he's older and um, you could kind of tell last year it looked like he was slowing down. And so just to get Puna in, his leadership, his um, everything that he does, his willingness to play both three tech and and nose and, and be that just a space eater if they need him to or do other things if they need him to, I think he's a good fit for this team. And honestly, he would probably be the starting nose if they brought him in right now. It's interesting you talk about a, a year two of a three-year rebuild. Fans don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear about next year. We see that a lot when we talk about quarterbacks. Like, no, they should skip this year because next year's draft is better. And then you get the backlash, right? Everyone says, nope, that we hear that every year. And But I will say this. This is what I like about what they've done. I feel like the the roster now, when you look at every single position across the board is more layered long-term now for the next three or four years with talent. Um, They're not going to be uh, as up against the wall next year by expiring contracts. If they can't resign some of these guys, they've kind of staggered all the position groups where they there's depth and there's another young guy coming behind him. If they lose Daryl Taylor or want to move on from him. Now they have, you know, they have Moffay with two more years left on his deal and they have hall and they keep adding to that group. Um, but I think if this team wants to exceed last year's win total and compete, like you said, Bill, in the NFC, um, I think we're going to need a similar performance from this rookie draft class. Four or five of these guys are going to have to step up in a big way mm-hmm. and be major contributors, at least on defense. I personally feel like that's that's where all the focus is still going to be. Can that run defense especially not be a liability like it was last year? Can the pass rush be effective? Can that defense get to where it's at least middle of the pack? because I think this offense has a chance to be top five in the NFC next year with some of the additions they've made. And they might just win in a different way. They might outscore some teams. Well, the other thing, the other thing with this is um, you look at cornerback where they did upgrade um, uh, in a big way with their, you know, the fifth overall pick, but now they're five deep at that position, right? You've got, um, you know, you got five guys that are good quality young players there's some value there that perhaps you can swing to get a 
defensive tackle hmm. or defensive, you know, uh, a defensive lineman. And because if there's a team out there desperate for a cornerback and you're sitting on five of them, you go, you know what? Here's Mike Jackson. We'll take, you know, um, your young third year uh, defensive tackle off your hands yeah. and we'll make that swap. Uh, that's definitely a possibility um, for a way for this team to kind of balance the roster a little bit and get better where they need to um, in order to make a run this year. Bill, can we put to bed now um, the narrative that, that that we heard for three, four years and it kind of came to a crescendo two years ago, about a year and a half ago when Mina Kimes uh, was pretty outspoken about it on ESPN that, that, uh, that the Seahawks forgot how to draft and that John Schneider was a bad drafter? Wow, it certainly looks so uh, like that. You know, in this last two drafts, I would argue that that they've been the the best drafts throughout the entire tenure when you put them together. Now, obviously, the the 2012 draft, 2011 drafts, uh, when we accumulated all those all those players, Hall of Fame level players, in in some instances, was was great. But really steady, they've steadied the ship, if you will. We were back and forth. It didn't seem like the team had a direction. Um, I think they have a direction now. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, whatever happened in that meeting with, with, uh, Jody Allen, uh, not, not this year, but last year when they, when they kind of had the reset and they decided to move on from Russell Wilson and then they had better play from Geno Smith than they thought they would. And they were able to kind of corral this thing with a great draft, uh, add young talent, hungry talent. And they did the same thing this year. Uh, with the same sort of approach, different different players at different positions, but the same sort of idea. And <clears throat> nonetheless, it's we had a long ways to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't rebuild this thing in one year or two years, uh, and and that's really evident because of the holes that are re- still remaining on this roster, and looking into the future, holes that are that are that are out there that are that are not very far away. Right now, Cameron Young's the the starting defensive tackle on your team. On an on a NFL pro team, he's, yeah. the, he's the starter. You know, so you've got to do some things there. Um, when you take a look in, into the future, Fance, uh, unrestricted free agent next year. Uh, Lewis on the, def- on the uh, offensive line at guard uh, is a free agent. Uh, Devin Bush, Bobby Wagner again. So you've got some depth positions yeah. where you're going to you address those in the draft and, and free agent. Uh, and, yeah. and New China. You're right. So, uh, but they've come a long ways. And uh, it's definitely going to be exciting. It's going to it's going to be a great brand of football. I just think we're going to be a little short. Yeah, I again, I think we all agree that if they had just been able to hold on to a couple of those veterans up front, we'd feel a lot better. It, it's certainly going to shine the spotlight on Clint Hurt and that defensive staff because what did we hear uh, by the end of last year? And what was the narrative, at least among the fan base, and and even me personally was like. Well, maybe we just didn't have the talent to make it work up front. Well, then you you flush, and you know, and you add a bunch of young guys, and there's going to be more question marks than ever. The the chance that all of those guys are going to contribute uh, at a veteran level, you know, it's going to put more pressure and more of the spotlight on how they do with the scheme, how they coach those guys up, and game plan week to week. Um, real one quick, of the things. Yeah, go I ahead. would say one of the things um, you were asking Bill about, you know, them remembering how to draft. You look at, you know, 2010, 2011, 2012, those were great drafts. At that point, they had a loaded roster. They went out and, you know, won a Super Bowl. And at that point, it felt like John Snyder was constantly trying to win now just win now don't worry about the future just win now um as all those first round picks being traded for 
um, you know, Percy Harvins of the world. And it was just whatever we have to do to win this year. Mm. Um, and that caught up to the team. Um, they drafted to win now, not to win forever, yeah. you know, using Pete Carroll's words. Right. Um, so they did that for three years. They built a roster. Now they've done it for two here at the end and they're building a roster. Um, when John Snyder drafts to build a roster, he's really good at this. When he drafts to win now and just plug a hole and that kind of stuff, I think that's what, when, when he gets in trouble. Hmm. And someone's just got to, you know, keep him focused on just always be building the roster um, and never, you know, start how, trying to win now. And how I much think is that, of that is Pete Carroll? How much of that is John Schneider? I'm sure a lot of the win now is Pete Carroll. I think they've also clarified, as we've talked about quite a bit here this evening, you know, they've clarified a type. And during those years when they had some bad drafts, we saw a lot of small school prospects, right? We saw a lot of position conversions. Like they tried to kind of outsmart the rest of the league. They, they got a little too cute. And now what do we see? We see guys from big programs that play in big games and big moments and big stadiums with lots of starting experience and lots of reps and lots of snaps that have high character. Like you can, it, I, I think if they continue with this style, we should get much better over the next couple of years at predicting who they're going to draft because they're at now after we've seen back-to-back drafts of where it's pretty clear, uh, you know, the qualities they're looking for. Mm-hmm. Tell yeah, me this position conversions was definitely annoying oh. during the, the Tom Cable era. Those um, yeah, those are tough. <laughs> Tell me this. I'll start with you, Bill, just uh, briefly. What about the rest of the NFC West? Any of the drafts stand out to you um, or uh, for good or bad reasons at all? Well, I think Arizona had a great draft, um, really. And uh, I thought they did, they did really well. And I thought the 49ers had a, a, a crappy draft, but they came in without a lot of draft capital. Um, and, you know, nobody improved as much as the Seahawks did. You know, it wasn't even close. And Did, and did the Seahawks gain ground on San Francisco? Yeah, absolutely, I think. And when you, when you go into the year without a set quarterback, they're going to have a competition, if you will, between uh, Trey Lance and, and the guy they picked up in free agency. Um, and it's not going to turn out good for them. I don't think hmm. um, they, they bet on that horse one time last year and, and Purdy turned out really well for them. But this year they've got a, a decent roster. They've had to, to uh, you know, Hargrave, like in the middle, I, I would have loved to have had that selection for us. Uh, but other than that, they really didn't do a lot. And they've got this quarterback thing going in. I think this is the year that we can build some, some ground on them and maybe steal a, a playoff game. Um, the uh, They're still the, the first place team in this division. Yeah. Until they aren't. And Seattle's got a, a ways to go, but I wouldn't put it past the Seahawks to really surge this year and go from nine wins to like 11. Okay. I would say that um, Arizona had a great draft, even without drafting. Um, the trade they made with Houston. Yeah. So they're, they're going to have the Arizona's going to be bad. They might be the worst team in the, they NFL. might have the they top two like picks in the they draft. 15 picks next year. And they're yeah. all on the, you know, first and second round. I mean, yeah, they, yeah. they, um, they might be the worst team in the NFL this year. And you know, Houston's not going to be good and they've got both of their picks. They yeah. might have picks one and two in the draft, um, next year going into a draft where, 
you know, Caleb Williams is coming out and then they're going to be able to, um, you know, they basically eat another year of, of, um, you know, Kyler Murray's contract and get them closer to where they can finally unload that thing and draft, you know, Caleb Williams and move on. Um, that pick or that, that trade alone, you know, puts them as one of the big winners of this, uh, this year's draft. And then they drafted some good players when they, you know, actually yeah. made picks. Good, solid players all throughout the roster, kind of an unsexy draft, but the kind you need to have when you're rebuilding. Yeah. And and I even thought with, you know, nothing higher than a third round pick, I thought the Rams filled, you know, did pretty well value wise with their, their and a crap ton of picks and they traded down and picked up more and still ended up taking 10 or 11 guys, I think. And, um, but they're so far, you look at somebody posted the other day, a projected starting defense for the Rams. And it was Aaron Donald and 10 dudes that like, a yeah. lot of people haven't heard of it. They have so much. Yeah. I think we might have two teams in our division that are kind of trying to tank uh, yeah. this year, which certainly might lead to your point, Bill, of getting from nine to 11 wins might clear that. Well, path yeah. A little when bit. you, when you have two, four games against teams that are trying to tank, you better, um, you better be able to, you know, get those wins and, yeah. you know, go from there. Well, and, and let's be honest, look at the entire NFC. The, the power has shifted. Uh, from the NFC just a few years ago yeah. over to the AFC. It's not even close. It's, there's going to be 10 teams in the AFC that could make the playoffs in the NFC. Um, it, it, it's just, uh, you know, Geno Smith may end up being the second best quarterback in the NFC, quite frankly. Mm. It's, it's, not, it's not good. Yeah. I mean, am I right? The, am I wrong? The okay. NFC is um, the Eagles and everybody else mm -hmm. right now. Yep. The 49ers have a stacked Eagles, roster, but but until 49ers, they, and then, yeah, right. until the 49ers figure out their quarterback situation and one of those guys pops, um, they're not going to compete with the Eagles. And honestly, if teams that go to the Super Bowl should not be able to pick up the talent that the Eagles did in the draft that the following, you know, off season, that's just freaking unfair. Cause they went from being good to being really good, um, in a lot of positions, uh, the, you know, this last week and God damn, Howie Roseman, can you stop being so damn good at your job? Yeah. Well, the rest of us want to want to compete too. It speaks to where you are when you're when you're playing from ahead. You know, when you have a good roster already and you're just adding to it. And I think that's a good point to wrap up on. Is is if if we're right, if this draft turns out to be as solid as we hope it is, and and as solid as last year's draft, it it may put them in position next year where they're not pushing for anything. And they can literally just let the draft fall to them and target a couple of specific positions where they need dynamic players, either in free agency or the draft. Um, but they're not quite there yet. You can see that now with Philadelphia. They got their quarterback locked up and they were able to add to areas of strength. As good as that pass rush and that front seven was already last year, they added to it. They added to their running, you know, their running game. They signed Rashad Penny and they trade for DeAndre Swift. Like they just, now you're adding to what's already a talented roster. And I, and I do think as much as some fans might not want to hear it or admit it, the Seahawks are still a year ish away from maybe being able to, to operate in that manner. Yeah. It's been a, it's been a quick turnaround. Mm -hmm. The fact that they, um, you know, they've kind of bottomed out that last year with Russ, they met it, they, they traded Russ and, um, and now here we are, you know, essentially two off seasons from, uh, 
you know, that bad team. They made the playoffs last year with Gino and they've built their they've built the the top, the the starters on the roster. I still think the depth is an issue, uh, but they've built the uh, the rest of, uh, you know, the, the high end parts of the roster. It's top heavy still. But overall, there's a lot of talent here. It's in, a lot of talent. It's here. kind of scary to think, isn't it, that, you know, when when they traded Russell Wilson, we all assumed we were in for a rebuild and it was going to be centered around drafting a young quarterback in the next draft. And mm-hmm. then you look at the timing, just how the universe worked out. And last year's quarterback draft was terrible. Would have been a mm-hmm. horrible time to be reaching for a quarterback. This year's draft, we end up picking fifth. We couldn't have moved up probably into the top four to get one of those guys. We would have been left with you know, all the three guys were gone. And, and so if, if that had been the plan, if Gino hadn't have done what he did, how differently this would all look right now. You would have seen Seattle scrambling to move up to the number one pick. Yeah. Is what you would have seen if Gino, if had Gino hadn't out. done what he did, they would have had the fifth pick from Denver and probably the third pick from hmm. their native. That's pick. a good point. Yeah, they wouldn't. And they would have, they wouldn't have won whatever games. guy they wanted um, because they would have had two picks in the top five. Yeah. Um, thank you, Denver, for keeping right. the CX at top five, um, even with being a playoff team. So yeah, yeah. Well, so, listen, guys, so I got a question for go you. Go ahead, Bill. Real, really quick. Yeah. Um, so as the roster stands today, like, what do we still need? Like, what are, do we still need? Like, going into to next year to make this? If it's if this is year two, year three is the complete roster. It seems like we're still deficient at defensive tackle. Uh, we're still deficient at defensive end, base defensive end, middle linebacker, you know, offensive guard. We got Lewis is, is potentially leaving or we're going to have to sign him to a bigger contract. Um, quarterback could be a, 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 an area of need. So you're, you're talking about Gino next year's draft? Season. Yeah. Looking ahead yeah, to next a year? A year from now. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it just seems like we're, we have we still have a, a bunch of needs. Yeah. We do. And that's that's kind of to my point that the, the roster isn't built yet because um, they plugged they plugged the middle linebacker hole this year with a couple one year contracts to vets. At some point, they have to actually address that and get talent there. Um, young talent. I mean, draftable talent yeah. um, and to take that that over. Um, defensive tackle. Yeah, you said base defense end um, safety. They're going to have to move on from the. $36 million of digs and, and Adams and actually allocate that money to a place where it will matter more um, and not at to safety. Yeah. I mean, there, there, there's work to be done. Oh, there's still, you, there's still areas of concern. I, I think the linebacker thing is legitimate. You know, Bobby's year to year now and he's not the player he used to be. We don't know what Devin Bush is going to be yet. Maybe, maybe he, he, uh, you know, taps back into what made him so good as a rookie pre-injury. And he's a guy that they sign long-term. Um, you know, they, they keep talking about Vi Jones and John Radigan, but we don't know. Cause we just have, we, we don't know, you know, um, that, that could be a real point of emphasis in the draft next year. And, and look, it, we could be right back having the same conversation. It could be quarterback. It's going to be a much deeper quarterback draft. So you won't necessarily have to reach into the top five to get one. Um, but we might be having the same conversation going into next year's draft about finding a dynamic interior defensive lineman and maybe considering one of those quarterbacks. We'll see. There's still a question. I'm, I'm the question marks are still huge, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, if, if Bobby just is done, right. Or if Bush is the guy that got benched in Pittsburgh last year and Brooks doesn't come back as quickly as they hope he will, or he's not as effective when he comes back, where do they go at middle linebacker? They play nickel all the time. 
Um, what if these rookies aren't ready up front? I, I, I think right now I'd feel a whole lot better if we woke up sometime in the next week or so and, and saw that they brought back someone like Puna Ford, just a, yeah. just someone reliable and a known quantity. Yeah. Cause mm-hmm. right now you're taking a look at this draft class and you're, you're already penciling in five of these guys as, as starters. Yeah. Starter and, level. And starter oh, by the way, injuries happen. Guys. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing is getting six starters and our six players that played starter snaps uh, last year kind of set a bar, which I think is unreasonable hmm. uh, for fans to have as yeah. far as for this year's draft class. The fact that they need five guys from this draft class to step up and play that many snaps um, tells you a little bit about, about where the roster is. Yeah. They're not to a point where they're ready to, um, you know, they're not, they're not quite ready for prime time yet to go compete with the Eagles. Well, it's going to be fun to watch because we love watching young guys develop. We love watching them play. It makes the oh, yeah. preseason a lot more interesting. Rookie mini camp will be coming up uh, sometime next week, uh, I believe. And of course, then you see all the stories about how good they're all looking and how, how great they all um, uh, project to be. But uh, we'll be along for the ride throughout the whole thing. Guys, thanks for your input. As always, good visiting with you. Um, Bill, what do you got coming up on the show? Yeah, I mean, after the draft, we're just uh, solidifying our, our uh, schedule for the next uh, few months. Going to be uh, previewing the mini camp and, and drafted guys here on our next show this week, and then after uh, the mini camp, we'll we'll be taking a, a larger look at roster evaluations and kind of getting into the doldrums of the summer, uh, June and July, before we get to training camp. And uh, I'm sure we'll have uh, all of our content. We're on, uh, you know, three shows a week, uh, 52 weeks out of the year. Uh, you can find us on Seahawks Playbook Podcast on our YouTube channel or your favorite podcast platform and uh, kind of know where to find us on Twitter individually. So look forward to to, uh, to reaching everyone we can. And congrats again on your show, uh, Dan. Uh, you got a great show. Thank and you, sir. Your reach is growing all the time, and I think it's great. Uh, thank you. Appreciate you guys. As always, uh, we'll definitely get together again sometime between now and the beginning of training camp. And kind of assess how the sort of the, the quiet part of the year goes, but a lot of key moves between now and the start of training camp can be made that will have an impact on the roster. And of course we'll be uh, here to detail all of that for you. My next show um, look for it over the next couple of days. I'll be unveiling my shadow draft. This is something I learned from Keith when we were working together at 12th man rising, where every time the Seahawks were on the clock, I wrote down who I wanted to draft and then I play it as it goes based on what I'd picked already. As I sit here today, I'm not going to give anything away. I'm not sure if my class is better or not than what the Seahawks actually drafted. So that'll it's, be a lot of fun. And it's never it's never better. <laughs> that's, that's one thing I've learned from doing these shadow drafts now for like 8, 12, I don't know how many years. It's Because I don't remember when I started doing them. Um, it's never better than what John Snyder does. It's It looks better on paper, but yeah. then when you actually get into the season the following year and a bunch of those guys that you thought were going to be great... Um, can't get on the field because yeah. they just—they're not—they're not the player we thought they were. Right. Yeah, it's never better than what John did. <laughs> well, we will check that out. And thanks for teaching me that, Keith. It's a lot of fun. I've done it for a couple of years now. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode of Seahawks Forever. Subscribe to the YouTube page. Follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever, and I will see you in a couple of days. Bye, guys. Mm-hmm.